Hi dancers, dance moms and dads and dance educators. Welcome to Be On Point. I'm your host, Melissa Kraushorn. My background in dance includes working with summer programs at Boston Ballet, Central Pennsylvania Youth Ballet, Miami City Ballet, San Francisco Ballet, the Joyce Theater's Dance Education Program, Freedom of London, and Penn State Center for the Performing Arts. I'm passionate about providing young dancers and their parents with resources and tools to create the career they want and love in dance. You can learn more at my website, www.mcmovement.com, or connect via Instagram or Facebook. Please take a moment to give Beyond Point a like and a review and share with a friend. Enjoy. I met Barry Blumenfeld while working at the Joyce Theater. He was a partner teacher in our K-12 dance education program. I've had the opportunity to observe him teaching class and to take a dance education intensive from him through the 92nd Streetwise Dance Education Laboratory. Barry honors the joy and delight of moving with a dedication to creating spaces for students to express themselves. In this episode, he shares about integrity in dance making, defining one's own path, and boldly embracing challenge. He has been a dance educator in a wide range of environments from preschools, studios, public and private K-12 schools to universities, including American University, Gallaudet University, and New York University. Barry is currently on the faculty of Friends Seminary School in Manhattan. He holds a BA in psychology and an MA in dance from American University and is a graduate of the Dance Education Laboratory of the 92nd Street Y, where he currently teaches and co-created Dance Maker, an app for teaching and learning in dance. Barry is president-elect of the New York State Dance Educators Association and was a recipient of their Outstanding Pre-K-12 Dance Educator Award in 2017. For 10 years, he was artistic director of Tap Fusion, a dance company combining modern dance and tap. Barry also started the Men in Dance Group in the National Dance Education Organization and co-chaired the Men in Dance Symposium at West Virginia University. In 2019, he received NDEO's Outstanding Leadership Award. He writes a monthly Ask the Experts column for Dance Teacher Magazine as well. Here is his story. Barry, at this present moment, where is your curiosity or awareness focused as a dancer and educator? I was just reading about uh, up in Katzbahn in the north of New York City. You know, this little place for the first time ever is going to do a dance festival since all the big places in uh, up in the northeast aren't doing dance festivals and just doing a little for the local for 50 people. They just put a stage in the middle of a field and they've got some really great artists coming in. And so I see things like that and it gives me a lot of hope, like bring things maybe down and and, and get people excited on local levels mm-hmm. um, and to look for opportunities on local levels. In terms of performance side of things, as an educator, every day it's a new thing and nobody knows what's going to happen next. And, you know, everybody's got something different going on and, and, and the truth is everything can change. And I think I've, I've kind of noticed this as an educator, as an arts educator, that I feel like being an artist and being always ready to, you know, to use a dance term, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, to turn on a dime. I can be flexible. I can move with it. I can go with it. I'm an artist. I can be creative. Uh, I, I feel kind of fortunate that all my training, whether it was, you know, my dance training or, or all the years I did comedy improv, mm-hmm. uh, really pay off here. I at least have that. It's having that mindset, which I, is, is it's the improver's mindset, but it's really the artist's mindset of saying yes and to what comes mm-hmm. at you it is a little challenging at, at, at my age to say yes and sometimes it's easy the older you get to get set in your ways and I, I see it in myself so reminding myself to say yes and is a big part of I think how we take like each step forward how would you describe the main components or essence of your teaching pedagogy 
my approach to teaching, I sometimes like to say, like, I don't, I wouldn't call myself a teacher. I'd call myself a, a facilitator in that my real goal is to create the structured environment for students to learn through their own experience. So everything I do, certainly as a teacher, is geared towards that. It's funny, in some ways, it, it goes back to that idea of improvisation and structured improvisation. But for me, for me, it's, it's, it's about the creative act. I started dancing really well, late relatively to most. I, I started by break dancing at, well, at bar mitzvahs in Miami, because the competition is quite low there. <laughs> uh, the bars, are, um, and that's where I was. But I, you know, I, I started when I was 18 on a whim, I got to college um, and my schedule was all messed up. And I was like, and I, I grew up a drummer, actually. Uh, I played yeah. drums since I was seven. And on a whim, I took uh, my first semester, a tap dance class. I was like, I'm going to do something I kind of think would be fun to do. I'm in college. I should learn new skills and do things. I don't have to just, you know, take all the classes I've told. And I took a tap class. And within a couple of weeks, uh, I, I think I realized I was a dancer. I always like to tell a story that I um, was about, a sem I was a semester in. And I was running down the stairs and I tripped and fell like pretty far down a, a flight of stairs. And, and my, my thought in midair after three months of a tap dance class was, <laughs> was, oh no, my dance career. Like, yeah. so I knew right away that, that, that was what it was for me. I mean, I always joke, you know, I, I grew, I, to be honest with you, I thought I was going to be a rabbi who played mm -hmm. drums on the side. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I say like if you, and I tell my my students all the time and everybody like you have no idea where your life's going to take you. If you had told me that I would be teaching, well, I teach a lot. You know, like if I would be teaching dance and capoeira and rock climbing and yoga at a private Quaker school in New York City, and married to a Filipina Catholic, you know, I would say like that's insane. I don't know what half of those words mean. I don't know what capoeira, or yoga, or where the Philippines are. Yeah. So, um, you know, life had, takes funny turns, but the long way around to getting to the point of this story. <laughs> um, <laughs> when So after tapping for about a year and a half, and I was really dedicated, and my drumming background really paid off. So I knew how to, tapping was something I knew how to get good at quickly because I knew how to practice, and I loved. Um, I got selected to take a master class with Gregory Hines. And it was it was a it was a select big bunch of people. This was in Washington D.C. And in the class, it was on a stage actually in front of an, an, an audience. And tap and Gregory taught like you know he taught a combo and he talked a bunch and told stories. So coming to to dance in the academia, I didn't I didn't I wasn't bringing a studio upbringing with me. Although my sister grew up going to a studio, I kind of like the kid in a chorus line. I a little bit was the kid saying you know. I'm watching Cisco pit a pat thinking I could do that, but I never did until I got to college. So I didn't, I don't have that mind, that studio mindset. I was, I kind of was already growing up quickly as a dancer in the academia, which when I was really around modern and postmodern dance. So my ideas of what is dance and, and what, what does dance mean and how is it expressed were already different. And I was already kind of thinking of tap, not just in the conventional sense, but in a, in a wider more abstract way. Mm -hmm. And so everybody was taking a solo and, you know, everybody else, all the tappers all knew the same steps and, you know, they would get up and everybody would do something. Gregory would be, maybe he'd jump in with him cause it would like, a, maybe it's a Henry Latang thing and he knew it too. And then I got up to do my solo and it was like, 
was kind of out there. It was kind of like a very, I think, of, I, I can't remember exactly, you know, but it, it had a lot of turns and arms and, and it was rhythmically kind of more abstract. And I think whenever it was done, there was sort of like some slow scattered <laughs> clapping. <laughs> like, and as I turned, as I turned to go sit down, Gregory, Greg comes up to me, puts his arm around me. And his thing has always been, and he always said was like, be expressive with your dance. And he put his arm around me, he said, hey man, that was so expressive. Mm. You keep doing what you're doing. Don't you listen to anybody else. You do what you're doing because that was expressive. And that, that even to this day brings like, gets me choked up a little bit because that, that, that moment changed the course of my life and affirmed what I think I knew was going to be for me what dance was about. It was an expressive art. Is dance is a creative act, it's for creating. A big part of my pedagogy comes from the Dance Education Laboratory of the 92nd Street Y and studying with Jody Arnhold and many other people through that. And, and there, you know, the, the Dell model, as we call it, of a class, there's dance making in every class. There should be some way, there should be dance making. And so that is sort of the, that is my, my approach to all my classes, whether I'm teaching preschoolers through college, you know, and, and my day, my day can run from a five-year-old to uh, grad students. And whether it's I'm teaching creative movement or a tap class, you know, there's going to be space in there for creating and making it your own and, and using it in your own way in some way. It's, it's the funny thing is that's a lot easier, ironically, or not ironically, but it's a lot easier with the little ones because we're naturally artists yeah. at that time. And we're naturally expressive. And so they, they, they have no problem. As long as I give them like a clear structure, they'll go. But, you know, it can be a lot harder for the older students at times. I mean, in TAP for me, I do a lot of, I do teach a lot of improv technique as part of the class. So mm -hmm. that's the place for creativity and, and creating. As an educator, how do you assess or understand what a dancer needs from you in the studio, whether that's when you're teaching class or making work? If I can do it, I really like to take a moment always in the class to pause and have people do things one at a time, which is awful as a student. <laughs> it's your worst nightmare. It's not just going across the floor. It's like go across the floor by yourself, <laughs> um, which is which is your worst nightmare, no doubt. But but in terms of a, a practical technique, that's something I do like to do so that I can see that person, I can teach them one on one, and whatever they're going through. Is, is probably going is going on technically with about half the other class and the things. And so, I mean, I try to prep for that always with, with like, before we start, I know this is, you're, you're hating this and this is a fear. And I, and I try and, and, and I always begin the semester and it, it takes a lot, but especially because I do improv is try to constantly create an atmosphere of like, we're in this together. There is no, nobody's getting up on anybody else. This is not a competition. Um, and anyway, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not of the ilk of, I think they should be competitive. I understand a little competitive spirit to helps people to, to strive. I'm not, I'm not opposed to that generally. And I know that's helped me as well to see someone better and be like, but that's good for me internally. But I, I try to make it clear going in. I was like, everybody's afraid right now. And everybody's worried about judgment. So heads up because everybody's worried about being judged. They're probably not judging you because there's too much worried about themselves anyhow. Just know everybody's actually selfishly thinking about themselves right now. And I think that's a good thing. And I'm okay with that. And then we go one by one. And it's great because then 
you know, you find that thing that someone else is working on, you get over a hump with somebody one-on-one, three students later, it comes up, I go, hey, remember the thing I just said to so-and-so? They go, right. I go, try it. And they go, oh yeah, it works for me. Or they already have it in their head before it comes to you and they can make that switch. So that that's a place where uh, as an educator allows me to get a mini private lesson in a class. If you're lucky enough to have a teacher's assistant or, uh, or somebody else who you can trust, obviously being able to pull somebody aside and be like, hey, can you work with that person on that? Or, you know, a lot of times I, I always try to have a place in class where I go, or even when we're doing something, um, stop take two minutes, do it on your own, right? Because always Mm -hmm. so many times and and so often I find that it's, um, we're like running people, we're running our students and we just run, run, run them. And we're like, do it again and do it again and drill them. Yeah, that's certainly valid. But but right after you learn something, sometimes you need a second to figure it out at your own pace or your own tempo. When I have a room, even if it's a a bigger class, everybody starts working on their own, I can stop and I can look around. And if I have a teacher's assistant, which is, you know, is like, it's like a, a wonderful treat. I can be like, hey, I see so-and-so over there, or you let's circulate. And then you you know, and that in and then you circulate and you start to see what people are doing. And you can stop and give those little private lessons at that moment. Or you can see what people are doing and stop and teach the whole class. I saw this. I don't have to, I don't always have to call someone out. I can say, hey, I'm seeing among a few people this, you know. Mm-hmm. I will say it's what's what I find always funny. Um especially it's funny when I teach yoga more than anything, but I'd see it is it's funny. If you say, if you give a note to the class, nobody does it. If you put one person's name on it, everybody does it. So, Uh, but I think that's also fear of being called out. But what do you consider essential for healthy dialogue during the creation and collaboration process of creating work? And by creating work, that could just be the dance making component of a classroom session or, you know, actually creating a larger piece um, that will function in the future. Sometimes I will set up a structure that is specifically collaborative, even with when I'm teaching, and I use a lot of language of dance, that's it's kind of lab notation for kids, so to speak, but it can be used all the way up. Actually, it can get very complicated, it can be used all the way through the academia, and that's Anne Hutchison Guest, one of the great dance notators of all time who took Laban's work and, and she found a way to really bring it and make it right for sort of education. And then you could teach it all the way to, to preschoolers. Cause I'm, you know, going back to dance being expressive art, it's, it's a language, right? Yeah. And so she's, she's giving me, Hey, here's a way to maybe notate the language. And Laban gave us a one way to mm-hmm. notate and one set of vocabulary to use. And it's not the end all be all, but it's what I, I I've come to use. I mean, it works for me. Even when I have my, second graders or third graders working in a group on a dance together and 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 those younger grades we do always work collaboratively i do have to i give them a firm structure like we're going to do a a taking turn thing each person puts down a symbol and then if you put down a symbol you'll make the decision for that move but everybody's going to get a chance to put in a move so everybody gets equal you know i try to teach equality uh in that dance making and that builds a a how to collaborate mentality and, and over even in my in my younger teaching grade, if I do that from kindergarten to say third grade by the third grade I can be like three four kids gotta go I'd be like quick uh we need to dance about you know hey you know this is coming up let's make a dance about this like three kids in, in literally in five minutes be like boom here's a one minute dance it's got levels it's got different directions it's got us doing stuff together in different formations it's done it just happens in a blink more importantly building the collaborative process learning how to work together. And I'm, you know, 
it's funny, I think, again, how that connects, how I talked about at the beginning, how as an artist, our mindset allows us to be flexible with life, right? Yeah. If we're building those skills, and if we build those skills in dance, you can do anything. You don't have to, even if you leave dance. I mean, when I was first got to New York City and I was just, uh, I was temping to pay the bills, you know, anytime I walked into a temp job, I was like, they were like, wow, what a good worker. Well, that this guy, you know, he works hard. I'm like, yeah, I work hard. You know, I'm, I dance. You, you yeah. can't. You, you can't be a dancer if you don't work hard. You just, <laughs> just you can't. It doesn't. It, and they're like, oh, wow, this guy's creative. And, uh, you know, and everybody, like, people would want to hire me. And, of course, they don't want those jobs. Although yeah. I did I did one time end up spending a year working at a hedge fund. But that that's for another podcast. <laughs> Who was a significant part of your dance education? And what do you continually draw from those experiences or those people now? Probably one of my, the main mentors in my life is a woman named Naima Prevo. Um, I went to American University, and she ran the program there. And and people in the dance ed world all know Naima. Um, and she really, from the early days, really encouraged me to to, to open my mind, both uh, sort of on a cultural level, and and what is the function of dance in society, and knowing what is the purpose of dance, and looking deep. And and I think also it, her generosity is is one of the places where that was modeled for me as well. She said, "What do you want to do when you leave?" What's your vision? And I said, I knew at that time, you know, I was like, I want to, I want, I know I'm going to want to teach, but I want to have a dance company. She's like, okay. And so I took classes in arts management. I interned at, at a dance place in, in DC mm-hmm. and I took composition classes. And I also, and then she pushed me out to teach and I did other things. So I got to teach. We had a grant with uh, the HUD and I was going out into the community and, and I, I got the skills. I got really lucky. I, I, in my final thesis concert, because of my internships in my arts management, I knew how to write a press release and how to put myself out there. So for my thesis concert, I didn't call it a thesis concert, I called it a concert. I put it out there, I had a Washington Post review and a city paper preview, and I had sold out my, my little college show because I had, because she said, what do you want? And she helped me do what I wanted, as opposed to telling me, this is what we're gonna do. Um, Jody Arnhold, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, huge bringing me into the, the Dell family. And she has really nurtured my, ed, my career as an educator. And when she see, when, again, same thing when she's seen, okay, I, I, I need a push. I need a shove. What she's done is she's given me, she's given me an opportunity and said, why don't you step up and do this? Why don't you step? And she's allowed me and brought me into the fold. And she's pushed me to trust myself that I have more to give. And, mm. and so she's given me opportunities that seemed at the time like they were above my pay grade, but she mm-hmm. had faith in me that I would do it. And I worked my butt off to, to rise to the pay grade. I would want to give a shout out to Anne Donahue was one of my main technique teachers in my master's program. The first person I ever saw do a scaffolded lesson. And that's mm-hmm. something that I also picked up much more how to do within, um, within Dell. And I think it's, it's, to me, it's one of the reasons why I, I always felt most technique classes were, there was something wrong with them. And, and if, for those that don't understand what I mean, scaffolded is, is Anne came into her class and she was thinking first, what is the greater concept that I want to teach? And then what within dance, what is the dance concept I want to teach? And let me build a combination that does that. Now let me teach a class with technique in it that builds my students towards the final combination, as opposed to here's my standard warm up, here's something in the center, here's something across the floor, and now here's a dance. And none of those things actually connect in any way, but 
the fact is, and I'm not to say you don't have a structure. I mean, I, one of the great things about ballet, though it was never my strong point, is that ballet class is beautifully scaffolded, and, and it, it is a, it is a good model in that way. When I teach, whether it is a modern class or a tap class, is and maybe I have the same plie combination. Within that combination, I'm looking at, I'll be working in parts of my final combination because I thought ahead of time at the very beginning, what, what do I want to teach? Well, I know what I want to teach initially is always being expressive. And what do you need to be expressive? Well, you need to be able to do X, Y, and Z. And, and I can get that down to like, so for this class, what am I doing? Uh, this class is about really using their full range of motion. Mm-hmm. And I'll build, I'll build a combination that uses a lot of wide range as well as near sort of near range. So they're doing things small and wide or near and far. And then within it, in my plies, it's not just plies. We're doing the plies and we're warming up, but we're also using, we're doing things that use that motion. When we get to the final combination, I'll be like, remember this thing we did in the plies? It's in the combination. I don't have to teach my final combination ever, really. I go, now we put together everything I already taught you that you drilled as part of developing as a dancer. And so the dances are, it's not, it's not about just learning the moves. It's like, oh, I have the moves. And then... If you've done it right, and if you're if you've done it well, and you're lucky enough, and you have enough, and if you have enough time, which I know there's never enough time, <laughs> they they already have the combo. You can go a step farther, and you can say, okay, now you've done the combo. Now with our last ten minutes of class, we're going to break up into groups. I'd like you to do this choreographic thing to the dance to make it different and make it your own. Again, that's something I got from Anne and very much from Jody, and, and through Jody, I was lucky to be exposed to teachers like 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 Barbara Bashaw. Mm-hmm. Um, just one of the great, you know, dance educators of all time. And I get to meet people and work with people like out there. I don't, and, I, and I'm afraid, like, I start saying people and I'm not saying people. Like Tina Curran, mm-hmm. who is one, I think, one of the smartest minds in all of dance education. I got to meet and work with Aunt Hutchison Guest, who's like a legend. What would you encourage young dancers and their parents to look for in dance training and teachers? And that can be whether they're looking at you know, rigorous pre-professional training or just want to step into a dance studio and experience it? What's important about choosing a place to dance and with whom you'll be dancing? Does it bring you joy? Mm-hmm. Does, does it bring you joy? And, and and looking at why, like, again, I didn't grow up in the studio scene, so I have a very different view of mm-hmm. it. And I have, I have a different relationship with it. I did teach, one of the great studios I taught at was uh, one, another great person in dance at world, Elza Posey, who had a studio out at the end of Long Island and Northport. And mm-hmm. it's a beautiful studio where it, it was it was about all these concepts. And so technique was led to creativity. And it was definitely the kind of place I would have my kids go. So it was aligned with my values. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important too. And I know everybody has different values, so I don't want to judge anybody. I, I, I think that's a big part of it, especially when you're looking, does it bring you joy? And do, do the values match? I, you know, and I think you have to ask yourself, and it's that core question is why, you know, and ask yourself, why, why are you dancing? Why do you, why do you love dance? Well, you know, why, why is it make bring you joy? And make sure that's the thing that's, that's being re- reinforced. And for some people, it may be, they thrive off, off competition. It really drives them. So then that's going to be the right place. And for some people, it's, it's just gonna, it, it could harden them in a, in a different way. You know, Elza w- was starting and it's still something that's, that, that we've been working on expanding through the National Dance Education Organization, the dance registry, the, like a, reg- a registered dance educator, trying to see if we can, you know, trying to find this bridge between the studio and the education world. 
you know, you got you just got 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 to look at and say, is this right? Is, is you know, if you're if my child is being injured regularly, it's not. But if my child it comes comes away each day with a smile, or or even if they're not now smile, but but feeling like I've grown, I've learned. Mm-hmm. It's also knowing when it's not working, maybe shopping around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Make sure you find a place that's aligned with your values. And the National Dance Education Organization, which if you're a dance educator, you you should be a member of. It's it's the professional association. If you're a studio person, it's a it's a thing I would love for people to check out and bring more of those people in the fold to bring their ideas and for us to start to bridge that gap. But within it, I, my point being was that I started this uh, men in dance special interest group that started to bring the male educators together because there aren't a lot there aren't a lot of male educators out there. I mean, if you think about dance, about teaching is already tends to be a female dominated profession. And mm-hmm. you put a dance on top of that, you know, it goes that it goes even farther that way. And what and we've been doing a lot of work with talking about men and dance and boys dancing and staying in dance. And that that is not necessarily a conversation that is only for men. And without a doubt, as I, as you noticed, when I mentioned all my mentors, they were all women. Mm-hmm. So I, it's not about that. It's a it's 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 a it's for the whole field to address. And all fairness, I, I need to back that up and say, thinking about gender equity, even. I, even I feel like that whole men and our men dancing, we're going to, we're moving again towards, it's not, it's more about gender equity than it is about, about boys and girls. But that being said, in many places in the world, those more progressive ideas have not taken root yet. But thinking like, should you paint your studio all pink? Uh-huh. You know? Should everybody have to wear certain colors and things? I Listen, I get it. I don't think those things should matter. But they, but but they do, you know. And boys that take dance, you know, they 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 go through a lot of boys. I'm lucky. I started late. For that matter, I was in a fraternity when I started dancing, and you know, mm-hmm. I wasn't harassed about. I didn't have. I didn't go through the bullying that so many boys go through. So yeah. you know, think about if you have a trans student, like if they've got that on top of of, of worrying about bullying of that and dance, like what can you do as as a studio owner to make everybody everybody feel welcome and to be able to express themselves can you break those conventions can you let them go like what what again what's serving us now think about dance's function in society which is a big way dance is it for social is it for performance is it for i mean ballet was created as a as a weapon <laughs> I mean, think about it louis louis used it as a weapon of state it's, a, it's a, that's a comment i got from the that great documentary that was made on dance on PBS a lifetime ago, but it was a weapon of state. He used it to control the aristocracy. Thankfully, we've come so far from that being its function, but think about what its function is and, and what its function can be, just as Balanchine foresaw how much more expressive it could be. You know, think about today what it can be. And, and that, you know, that goes for all, all dance forms. Being an educator, uh, and being a dancer, even if you're a dancer on stage, you're a model. You know, you, you have a responsibility. You do, whether mm-hmm. you want it or not, where you feel the way you act as a person that is in front of other people, the way you treat each other, the way you treat anybody, the way you carry yourself, the things you do, whether you like it or not, you're, you, you have a responsibility to how you conduct mm-hmm. yourself and how you treat others. Don't take that lightly. When you reflect upon your contributions as a movement educator, what gives you joy and satisfaction? For me, you know, I, I love dance. So I, and, and to see my students just, just, just make the dances they make, 
did I did I do a, a good job? It's not even. It's like did, did I did I succeed? And by succeed, I mean, you know, are my students expressing themselves, uh-huh. right, with their art? You know, that that's it. I I, I watched their work. I remember last year they re- I, I watched it just come together. I mean, they brought me to tears, and they moved me. Even like I started to feel like they literally I had to move with them, uh-huh. and I just they they moved my heart. It just makes my heart sing. And when I watch even the little guys. You know, mm-hmm. and, and when we make dances, it's not going to be, and I, my, my kids, it's like, it's really very postmodern downtown kind of, you know, when you see my third grade perform a dance about uh, immigration, it, you're not going to see, uh, it's not going to be like a studio dance. It's going to be a little bit different. It moves me in my heart and it just makes me happy. I don't, I like, I don't want it for me. Yeah. Like it means I created the right environment and the right structure for them, for them to feel successful and to feel expressive and to, and to go on. Uh, that just makes me feel like, you know, everything, everything's been worth it. As you think about all the experiences you've had and how that's influenced the way you teach, how would you encourage educators to explore creative pathways in their teaching and learning? Kind of like as uh, Sean Kern once said to me, I don't know if it's one of his own quotes, but he said, the dance is never done, right? Choreography, like it's easy. You know, you put a painting on the wall, you seal the paint, you're done. You walk away from it. You know, you write the score to music for the most part, you know, I mean, you can always riff on it, but a dance, you know, dance is ether. It's, it, it's never, it's never done. And as a teacher, you know, your education is never done. I highly recommend as I've been pushing a lot, the dance education laboratory, the 92nd street. Why it's a wonderful place to pick up pedagogy, no matter who you are. If you haven't tried it yet, you could try the app I co-designed through Dell called dance maker. One word. It's a great way to use uh, Levon move analysis in that in that vocabulary to make a dance. It's good for choreographers. I mean, I've I've gotten Broadway people and like, oh, it's just the thing I need to get myself started making dances again. And you know, I've used it with five year olds. Yeah. Punch up, punch up those skills. Those can come in handy in a lot of different places. Barry, thank you for sharing your experience in dance and as an educator with us here at Beyond Point. We so appreciate you taking time to chat with us. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for listening to Barry's story. Links to his affiliated organizations are in the show notes. Takeaways from Barry. Does your practice of dance align with your values? Have you chosen or found mentors? Can you identify a resource, Barry provided many, that will allow you to continue learning and growing? Remember, the dance is never done. Let me know how you've responded to Barry's experience via my website or social media. Be inspired, be brave, be on point.